Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Some of the things that are being posted are, are, is, is not right. I'll use the term, it's disgusting. This type of video would be examined and it may help provide additional witnesses, it may provide evidence uh, to the attacker, it may provide leads that the police can further on. It hurts us as friends to the people who knew her, to the family that loved her. Wouldn't want that to be spread around. No one needs to see the pain she was going through. to stand together on this we need to stop the hating yes part of grieving is anger part of grieving is sadness but there are many other ways to heal from that and we're offering one way if people would like it Community elder walks along a rural gravel road in the Seguin and Anishinaabe First Nation community, just south of the Winnipeg River, about 120 kilometers or 75 miles from Winnipeg. 19-year-old high school student Serena McKay was reported missing just after 6 p.m. on Sunday, April 23, 2017. She'd last been seen by a close family friend the evening before, around 6 o'clock, and then she vanished. But there were rumors of a party and of a fight spreading around the indigenous reserve of some 3,000 residents. So members of the community were out looking for the 19-year-old, as it was not like her to simply disappear. The Saging Anishinaabe community is distinct in that its lands converge on Treaty 1, 2, and 3 territories in the southern region of the Manitoba province in Canada. The name is derived from the Ojibwe Moan, or Ojibwe language word Zaging, or inlet where the river pours into the lake. The area was once known as Fort Alexander and sat home to one of many of Canada's indigenous residential schools, whose primary mission was to assimilate indigenous children into Canadian culture, to quote, kill the Indian in the child. But Canada's compulsory residential school system admittedly left a dark stain of intergenerational trauma throughout her indigenous communities, where the children were forced to cut their hair 
were prohibited from practicing their culture, could speak only English, and were restricted from regularly visiting their family by law and sheer distance through relocation. With the first opening in 1834 and some continuing on as late as 1996, the schools were hotbeds for physical and sexual abuse, in addition to many mysterious deaths among the children. But perhaps their most destructive legacy is that which has been sewn into the very colonial fabric between both the people and the land. A 2010 research study revealed that the lasting negative cultural and social effects of residential school attendance are being passed on to future generations of indigenous children. That the profound stress and grief experienced by those who attended them has been, quote, translated into a collective experience of cultural disruption and a collective memory of powerlessness and loss. The legacy of Canadian residential schools represents not only a horrific tactic of cultural destruction and assimilation, but an attempt to erase an entire people who lived through their language, culture, and identities, all of which had been forcefully stripped away. The remnants of that intergenerational trauma directly tie into the heightened prevalence of alcoholism, substance abuse, suicide, and post-traumatic stress experienced within Indigenous communities today. As that community elder walked upon the unforgivingly sharp and noisy gravel, she came upon a truly horrific sight, and a reminder that the intergenerational trauma and profoundly deep wounds within the Seguin First Nations Reserve were still very much alive and well. That's just senseless and that should never have happened. That we all come together and open our eyes and that we need to heal. We need to heal this community and to not stop there. 19-year-old Serena McKay's body was discovered outside of a small rundown modular home at the end of a long gravel road in the poverty-stricken reserve at around 8 p.m. Sunday evening, just two hours after she had been formally reported missing by her family. Her body was badly beaten and her wounds horrifically extensive. The temperatures that Saturday evening and early Sunday morning dipped well below freezing and she had likely died there in the yard sometime late Saturday evening or early Sunday morning. The pathologist who eventually conducted her autopsy and death investigation reported identifying an astounding 67 separate identifiable wounds on her body with the majority of the damage done to her head and face. The ultimate cause of her death was ruled hypothermia and blunt force trauma. The manner was homicide. The pathologist would later testify that although the traumatic injuries themselves didn't necessarily kill Serena, she also had a significant amount of alcohol in her system, and the extent of her injuries in conjunction with being intoxicated likely prevented her from seeking protective shelter from the freezing cold Seguin spring nights. By Sunday evening, local authorities had a body but little idea what might have actually happened to the high school senior. She had clearly been the victim of a significant attack, but who would have been so callous, so uncaring, to have severely beaten her and then left her outside to die? The answer would come soon enough, just not in the way that anyone was prepared for. The community is reeling because of this tragic incident which unfolded over the weekend. Saking and Nishinabe High School students began hearing of the existence of a horrifically graphic video clip that had been purportedly shared to a public page on Facebook as early as the Monday following Serena's death on April 24th. The video quickly went viral within the student community, 
and eventually spread rampantly throughout the Seguin First Nation Reserve entirely. After confirming its existence, several students reported the video to then-high school principal Claude Guimond, who in turn notified the RCMP of its existence after viewing it for himself. So I watched the video and yeah, it was very, uh, it was very explicit, it was very brutal. I'm assuming pretty well most of the kids saw it, you know, because it's out there. Serena McKay's mother, Dolores Daniels, even viewed a brief portion of the video herself on Facebook after learning of its existence. She clicked the play button and after just a few seconds, knew that it was her daughter. She grew immediately distraught and stopped watching after recognizing Serena's horrifically swollen face and cries for help. She called for local law enforcement and tribal chief Derek Henderson to work directly with Facebook to have the video taken down immediately. But by then, it had spread so far and wide that it was already too late. There were now apparently two video clips circulating widely online and most actively within the private messenger function of Facebook. Chief Henderson did contact Facebook directly, who then quickly removed the shorter nine-second version of the video. But a spokesperson for the site provided the following statement regarding the longer-form 48-second version that many were sharing privately among their messages. This was a horrific tragedy, and our hearts go out to the family and friends of Miss McKay. We have not been able to locate the video on Facebook, and are working with law enforcement as they investigate. By Wednesday, CBC had publicly confirmed that the longer version had been posted online and immediately reported it to both the RCMP and Facebook, but it remained online for approximately four hours before it was taken down. Around the same time that news of the video had begun spreading wildly throughout the community, rumors of two apparent arrests had also begun circulating, and though police had originally classified Serena's death as, quote, suspicious after her body was discovered on Sunday night, by Tuesday afternoon, they had announced that her death was the result of a homicide. And by Thursday, they had announced that they made two arrests in the case. I don't want to see it. It's just too hard to, to imagine what happened. And I can't even get over it now, personally. For me, it's very heartbreaking. Very popular young girl. Very, very sad to, to see her, you know, leave. Social media can be so so cruel, right? It, 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 when we were talking about it last night, you were saying, I wish we could take all those towers down where, where kids have access to social media because some of the things that are being posted are, are, is, is not right. Sakin Tribal Chair Derek Henderson addressed the media after it was publicly announced that two of Serena's fellow classmates from Sakin Anishinaabe High School had been arrested for her murder. The girls were just 16 and 17 years old, their identities protected and remained anonymous under Canada's Youth Criminal Justice Act. Still, within days, most everyone in the community knew exactly who the girls were because they were the ones who filmed Serena's murder and shared the videos online via social media for all to see. Chief Henderson was especially horrified by the incident because just hours after the arrest were announced, he found out that he was actually related to one of the teen girls allegedly responsible for killing Serena McKay. You start asking yourself, what happened? Or, or why are these children out, right? 
you know, at this time of the evening and where were they? What are they doing there? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. Though many in the community had actually seen the horrific videos making the rounds online for themselves, few had any idea just how quickly the clips had spread far and wide beyond the Canadian First Nations Reserve. Within just a few weeks, the longer of the two gruesome video clips went viral throughout Canada and the United States. The horrific images eventually making their way across the entire globe, metastasizing like an uncontrollable terminal cancer that had escaped early detection and treatment by virtue of how many people shamelessly hit the share button instead of reporting the video to social media platforms, or more importantly, the police. It's a, a sad, 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 sad case, and it's a very sad thing to see go down in this world. So um, again, same thing with this video, same thing with that video, guys. Uh, I mean, I know it's a little late for the news of the uploading, but you know what, I'm gonna upload it because I'm hashtag team stop live murder. Hashtag team stop live murder. That's exactly what I am. And I'm gonna go ahead and watch this video with you guys because why? So we can feel together again. Because it's disgusting and every time that it happens, this needs to happen. Someone somewhere needs to upload it somewhere and show people how disgusting it is. You don't need to just see people talking about it. You need to see it. You need to know what it feels like and you need to know how it feels to not like it. Not just to talk about it, but to see the brutal acts of this world in a graphic, disgusting manner. Yes, let's watch it. I cannot stand it. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and watch this disgusting video, guys. Let's see what's going on. Let's see what this world is. YouTube vlogger Phantomus TV uploads a video to YouTube, venturing out of the realm of his typical live streams and gaming reviews to the more macabre. Though most shared the video of Serena McKay's horrific murder privately via Facebook Messenger, eventually it began appearing on YouTube, Reddit, and other popular reality sharing sites. Opening with an introduction pleading to others not to live stream murder, Phantomus TV then does just that, playing a lightly blurred out version of the entire 48 second video clip. Though the images are pixelated, the audio is crystal clear and horrific. Out of respect for Serena McKay and her family and friends, we have opted not to play any of the actual audio. But Phantomus TV's reaction is quite telling of just how horrific a display the video actually portrays. And perhaps most shockingly, the monstrous actions of those captured in the grainy video aren't even old enough yet to legally vote or buy a drink. They're fing evil. They are evil. Those girls are evil. I don't care if they're 15 or 17. They are evil. And I, I don't really know what to say. Just hashtag stop live murders, guys. Please, just stop it. Just stop it. It's disgusting to see. It's not cute, it's not fun, it's not funny. You guys need a real reality check. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to take, but like I said before, some people do deserve to die. And some don't. Well, uh, well, we'll catch you later here at Phantomist TV. And, uh, hope after this you do some thinking. Though many who have posted the video online have claimed that their intentions are pure, 
that they want people to know about the true horrors and atrocities that actually occur in the quote, real world. The continued sharing and resharing of the video created a rippling wave pool of trauma throughout the Seguing First Nations community, eventually drawing Serena's aunt Samantha and several friends from her high school to publicly call for people to stop sharing the video. What we really would love is for them to just stop posting this video. Like, take it off of everywhere. Like, that's not entertainment. That's, that's our girl. It hurts us as friends to the people who knew her, to the family that loved her. Wouldn't want that to be spread around. No one needs to see the pain she was going through. Though the videos had spread far beyond what Facebook or any other public entity were now able to control, the RCMP were reviewing them as critical evidence in the case against Serena's fellow 16- and 17-year-old classmates. But what was actually captured on the videos that ultimately supported both girls receiving charges of second-degree murder? And why had they decided to share them so publicly? It turns out that wasn't all the girls shared the night they killed Serena McKay. This is a trigger warning. For the sake of examining how the 16- and 17-year-old girls beat Serena McKay to death and were subsequently captured and arrested, I'm going to walk you through the video itself, describing both what is seen and heard in the longer clip. If you do not wish to hear these details specifically, please skip ahead about four minutes. The longer 48-second video opens in a dark environment. It is filmed vertically on a cell phone, and the phone's flash is illuminating a figure laying on the ground. The individual filming is the older of the two teenage girls. In the opening seconds of the video, Serena McKay can be heard crying and moaning aloud, while the 16-year-old girl sits mounted on top of her, both of her hands firmly grasping Serena's hair, holding the back of her head tightly against the ground. Serena lies helpless, unable to cover or protect her own face. One of the teen girls then yells out, Come on, just fucking take my fun. Fucking the phone then captures Serena's badly swollen and bloodied face in and out of focus, while she cries aloud, quote, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Though it is unclear from the video exactly what she's apologizing for. The other teen girl then yells out, If you send anybody fucking after me, I'll fucking kill you myself. McKay continues crying aloud, I'm so sorry pleading for her life in between painful, haunting moans. The teen then yells out, quote, Me and you, me and her will fucking kill you our fucking selves. The 17-year-old, still filming, now stands just inches from Serena McKay's head as she films downward towards the ground in the direction of her head and face. McKay appears briefly upside down in the video, her bloodied and battered face nearly completely unrecognizable from the intense beating that most assuredly occurred before the girls began recording the assault. The 16-year-old then looks up at the camera briefly and calls out, fucking come take over here. Come on, please. I don't want to fucking see her alive. Then a very quiet male voice is heard in the background saying, hold on, hold on. In direct response to the 16-year-old's request, the 17-year-old then crouches down and calls aloud, fuck you and hits Serena twice in the face. The younger teen, who appears to be aggressively leading the attack, calls out repeatedly, quote, fuck you, fuck you, in addition to making several loud, guttural screams, while she quickly stands up and begins kicking Serena directly in the face, in between heavy, forceful stomps. Both girls' voices are notably slurred, 
the likely result of a night spent heavily drinking just inside the small brown modular home behind them. The younger teen then appears to bend down, grabbing the now unresponsive 19-year-old's hair as she repeatedly punches her in the face over and over and over again. After realizing the gravity of the situation and that Serena has now been unresponsive for several seconds, another male voice can be heard in the background calling out, she's done, she's done. But the 16-year-old continues punching Serena squarely in the face, a total of seven additional times after he calls for her to stop. The CBC, who also reported witnessing the video firsthand themselves, noted that during the repeated kicking and stomping, both teens wearing heavy Timberland-style boots, the camera captures the horrific sounds of the bones in Serena's face, cracking aloud under the intense pressure of their repeated stomps. The video then goes black after 48 seconds of horrific abuse that would ultimately lead to Serena Serenity McKay's death right there in the yard where her 16 and 17-year-old classmates left her. But the graphic videos weren't the only thing making the rounds from that Saturday night on social media. On Sunday morning at 1.12 a.m., the 16-year-old girl appeared in a Snapchat photo, smiling broadly while sticking her tongue out, her face, hands, neck, and entire upper torso covered in Serena's blood. The photograph included a caption along the bottom that simply read, I've been chillin'. After the 16- and 17-year-old girls were arrested, more and more details began filtering in, though it was clear early on that they had actively attempted to cover up their role in Serena McKay's horrific murder. Multiple reports indicated that Serena had actually been attending a small house party at the home in Seguin that Saturday evening with the two teenage girls that ultimately killed her. Multiple accounts also state that up to four other juveniles were present at the party, including the 17-year-old perpetrator's boyfriend, though that report has never been fully verified. After the group began drinking heavily early on Saturday evening, Serena and the 16-year-old at some point began arguing about what we may never know for sure. Some accounts claim that Serena and the girl were arguing about alcohol at the party, while others claimed there were rumors circulating that Serena was somehow involved with the younger girl's boyfriend. According to later court records, the 17-year-old at one point allegedly took Serena into the bathroom in the small modular home in an effort to, quote, calm her down because she didn't want an actual fight to break out. Though the accounts have never been verified, the court agreed that the deceased, Serena McKay, was being, quote, aggressive throughout the evening, a fact that was never disputed or later challenged in court. After the argument began escalating again, Serena was allegedly kicked out of the house party, a short while later, the 16-year-old began assaulting her outside on the property while the others continued partying inside. After both girls severely beat Serena McKay, capturing much of the horrific assault on video, they went back inside the house and, according to court records, spent the remainder of the evening drinking and partying inside. The 17-year-old who filmed the longer video later admitted in court that she locked the front door to the trailer, claiming that she feared Serena may come back looking for them or at worst, send someone else after them. Despite leaving her outside in a pool of her own blood, her face badly mutilated and unrecognizable, their 19-year-old classmate completely unresponsive when they left her, no one once went back outside to check on Serena. The 17-year-old also revealing that at one point, she allegedly discussed calling the police later that night as the group continued partying on, fearing they may have seriously hurt Serena or worse but she then claimed that her boyfriend or someone else at the party took her phone away. 
There were also other reports that someone present that night took Serena's phone and other personal belongings, so she couldn't have even called for help or she ever to have woken up after the assault, though it's unclear if those claims are entirely accurate because they've never been publicly confirmed. As the night progressed, at some point, the 17-year-old repeatedly shared the video clip of the assault with someone else via Facebook Messenger. The rest, as they say, is history. The next morning, the 17-year-old then allegedly messaged that same person via Facebook, telling them to, quote, delete the messages and video she had sent the night before. Her and her boyfriend then allegedly made contact with another juvenile that was in attendance at the party the night before, but who left early. The couple allegedly asked the individual to lie to police and tell them that both her and her boyfriend left at the same time that he did, instead of spending the rest of the night at the house party. The Winnipeg Free Press was anonymously sent an alleged Facebook Messenger exchange that occurred between the 16-year-old and 17-year-old girls who had viciously assaulted and killed Serena McKay, though the 17-year-old's responses had already been deleted from the message string by the time the screenshot was captured and shared by the newspaper. What was left behind was a running one-sided account from the 16-year-old's perspective, leading up to and immediately following the point when the news that Serena McKay's body had been discovered began spreading rapidly. We fought. I broke her nose, then that happened. She left after. She was okay. She was up and walking. She was just found dead, bro. Promise me. Say when we fought, it wasn't that bad. Her nose was just bleeding lots. I'm f***ing scared. Promise me, you won't tell him I fought her deadly. Say after we closed the door, she left. She just walked away, say. Okay, because she wasn't around the house when they found her, I think. By Monday morning, news of the video's existence had spread rampantly throughout the school. Given the clarity of the images, the fact that the clothing Serena's attackers were wearing was caught in the video, and the fact that their voices and names were also captured, the two girls literally had nowhere to hide. The 16-year-old did report to class on Monday morning, but eventually made her way to the guidance counselor's office to discuss the, quote, fight she had with Serena. Having already heard of the tragic discovery of Serena's body the night before, the guidance counselor immediately phoned the police to report her concerns. Later on that afternoon, the teen, joined by her father, voluntarily turned herself in to police custody. The 17-year-old girl also visited with police that same Monday, following the discovery of Serena McKay's badly beaten body, but not after first stopping off at a friend's house, where she borrowed a different pair of boots. She made the move after realizing that her and the other teen's boots were both captured in the horrific video clips that had been making the rounds within the community and within the school. After putting on the pair of loner boots, she surrendered to the RCMP to give a witness statement. In her initial recollection of events, the 17-year-old claimed to have left the home while the fight was still underway, but after police searched her vehicle in the department parking lot, they discovered the pair of boots that were clearly visible in the video during the horrendous assault. The young woman then changed her story, claiming that she only participated in the attack, quote, out of self-defense, and continuously downplayed her role in the assault to police. Both teenage girls, members of the Saking First Nations community, and both students at the Saking Anishinaabe High School were arrested and charged with second-degree murder. But one contentious observation in the case early on was the pressing question left on everyone's mind. Why wasn't anyone else who was present that night arrested? 
there were other voices there, clearly captured on the video during the attack that ultimately killed Serena McKay. While the act of filming or sharing this type of horrific video itself was not a crime, surely those in attendance who witnessed the brutal attack and did nothing to intervene or report the crime to police would be charged. But that would never be, and remains to this day one of the deep cracks in the police investigation that continues dividing a community deep in the throes of grief. legislation is to kind of get to the next level and actually penalize people that are again are part of a crime and filming something happening and which puts you right there in a room in a certain physical vicinity of the crime should make you criminally responsible for this. Grief counselors were made available to grieving students and staff at Saking Anishinaabe High School as part of a crisis response team initiative that week. The Canadian and Saking First Nations flags were also flown at half-staff in honor of their fallen student, sister, daughter, and cousin, Serena McKay. On Thursday, April 27th, Saking First Nation community members gathered around a sacred fire that had been burning in the days immediately following Serena McKay's murder. The fire was brought to the community's ceremonial powwow grounds, where people came from every corner of the reserve for a healing ceremony. Other memorials and events were being held all across Canada in Serena's honor through Sunday, from Fisher River to Winnipeg, Montreal, and beyond. Serena's tragic death reverberated through an entire country, her indigenous residents still struggling in the wake of generations of trauma, economic exploitation and poverty, alcohol and drug abuse, and violence. The very systems that drive young women out of their homes and into the streets or into drug and alcohol addiction are most difficult to understand and comprehend when they are confounded by lateral violence committed within and among their own communities. I can't imagine what the family, the community is going through right now. Everyone is grieving. This is a 19-year-old female. This is someone's child, cousin, niece, sister. They're in shock. They're grieving over her loss. Serena's mother, Dolores Daniels, told the court at the 16-year-old's eventual sentencing hearing that her, quote, mind and body cannot rest after losing her only daughter to such a horrific crime. She described how thoughts of Serena's murder replay constantly in her mind and how she regularly awakens from dreams and nightmares, crying the moment she ultimately realizes that her daughter is now gone forever. She also revealed that since viewing just a few seconds of the video depicting her daughter's murder, she suffers from intense insomnia and depression, and often finds that her only source for comfort or peace comes when she drives to Serena's grave and sits on the grass near her headstone to grieve. Serena was her best friend. The community elder described barely being able to sleep after discovering Serena's body and that she stopped eating afterward for nearly four days. She described to CBC News that she, quote, could not unsee what she saw outside of that Saking home Sunday night. She participated in the community healing ceremony at the powwow grounds, explaining that she believed whoever killed Serena in such a horrific way was, quote, not well because nobody is well that could do such horrible things as this. She also revealed, quote, we need to pray for them too because they're not well and my way is forgiveness. I know it's hard 
There have been some hard feelings and hatred and anger, and I believe that's all part of the grieving process. We all have to go through it. The 16-year-old who acted as the primary aggressor and leader in the attack that tragically killed Serena McKay eventually pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced in August of 2018 to two years in prison with one additional year of supervised release. Serena's family and friends who were packed in the courtroom during the hearing were so devastated by the limited sentence that they had to be escorted out of the courtroom by security after they began chanting aloud, no justice, no justice, no justice. Everybody's really upset. And this was not the outcome that we expected at all. And I just have no faith anymore in the system. My daughter didn't deserve to die. And she didn't, we didn't have to lose her over this. She was a good girl. The 17-year-old was sentenced to just under four years or 40 months in prison on June 4, 2018, after pleading guilty to second-degree murder. She also received an additional 23 and a half months of supervised release. Serena's mother and family were hoping the teen would receive an adult sentence for her role in Serena's murder, but had no choice but to make peace with the judge's final sentencing, as both girls were juveniles when the crime was committed. I'm pleased with um, the judge's decision that he did go relatively close to the recommended four years that the Crown wanted. And uh, so uh, we did meet with the Crown shortly and she did tell us that um, that, the, that she would be serving um, the three years and four months in custody. So, and then another uh, 23 and a half months uh, supervised out of custody. Like I said before, we had hoped that um, it would be um, an adult sentence. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, but um, there's nothing that we, you know, as a family can do anything about. So, and we have to accept this. Everybody is in a state of shock, a state of mourning, grieving. You know, I speak to them like they're my own kids. I talk to them the same way. And to me, like all the kids in this school are my kids. And I love them as so. Shockingly, the principal of Saging Anishinaabe High School, 54-year-old Claude Guimond, who had spoken so eloquently to the media in the days immediately following Serena McKay's tragic murder, was in the news again in December of 2018, after he was arrested and charged with a double homicide that occurred in February of 2017, two months before Serena McKay's murder. The double homicide was later described by many as, quote, a vigilante killing, in which Claude Guimon entered a home in which drugs were known to be distributed in the community. He painted his face black, entered the home at night, and shot and killed two alleged drug dealers execution style in the basement. He eventually pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to life in prison. He admitted in court that he was, quote, extremely drunk when he committed the murders. 
He also publicly claimed that he had become so distressed at the RCMP's apparent lack of investigation and prosecution of drug dealers in the community that he finally decided to take matters into his own hands after two of his own daughters became addicted to drugs. In Anishinaabe or Ojibwe culture, there is a complex family clan system. The Mukwa Dodane, or Bear Clan, represent the guardians of the community. Those tasked with courageous, steady hands to protect the people. Historically, they patrolled Ojibwe communities, learning the land, the people, and the risks inherent within. Where were the guardians the night Serena McKay died? Why didn't anyone else at the party step in when things got out of hand? Why didn't the male or males who were standing outside when the vicious attack went down do anything to intercede? Generations of assimilation, intergenerational trauma, and alcohol and drug abuse have eroded the very fabric of culture. When Serena McKay, the beautiful, artistic, aspiring attorney, lay on the ground apologizing and begging for her life through swollen and bloodied eyes, we were all left wondering, where were the guardians?